Thanks for joining us again. We're about to begin Chapter 3 of John Steinbeck's The Red Pony. As you may know, Steinbeck wrote about what he knew. He was born in Salinas, California in 1902. He attended Salinas High School and he attended a little nearby university known as Stanford. All right, enough. Here we go. Chapter 3, The Promise. In a mid-afternoon of spring, the little boy Jody walked martially along the brush-lined road toward his home ranch. Banging his knee against the golden lard bucket he used for school lunch, he contrived a good bass drum while his tongue fluttered sharply against the teeth to fill in snare drums and occasional trumpets. Some time back, the other members of the squad that walked so smartly from school had turned into the various little canyons and taken the wagon roads to their home ranches. Now, Jody marched seemingly alone with high-lifted knees and pounding feet, but behind him, there was a phantom army with great flags and swords, silent but deadly. The afternoon was green and gold with spring. Underneath the spread branches of the oaks, the plants grew pale and tall, and on the hills the feed was smooth and thick. The sagebrushes shone with new silver leaves, and the oaks wore Hoods of golden green. Over the hills there hung such a green odor that the horses on the flats galloped madly and then stopped, wondering. Lambs and even old sheep jumped in the air unexpectedly and landed on stiff legs and went on eating. Young clumsy calves butted their heads together and drew back and butted again. As the gray and silent army marched past, led by Jody, the animals stopped their feeding and their play and watched it go by. Suddenly Jody stopped. The gray army halted, bewildered and nervous. Jody went down on his knees. The army stood in long, uneasy ranks for a moment and then with a soft sigh of sorrow, rose up in a faint gray mist and disappeared. Jody had seen the thorny crown of a horny toad moving under the dust of the road. His grimy hand went out and grasped the spiked halo and held firmly while the little beast struggled. Then Jody turned, Jody turned the horny toad over exposing its pale gold stomach. With a gentle forefinger, he stroked the throat and chest until the horny toad relaxed, until its eyes closed, and it lay languorous and asleep. Jody opened his lunch pail and deposited the first game inside. He moved on now. His knees bent slightly, his shoulders crouched, his bare feet were wise and silent. In his right hand, 
there was a long gray rifle. The brush along the road stirred restively under a new and unexpected population of gray tigers and gray bears. The hunting was very good, for by the time Jody reached the fork of the road where the mailbox stood on a post, he had captured two more horny toads, four little grass lizards, a blue snake, 16 yellow-winged grasshoppers, and a brown damp newt from under a rock. This assortment scrabbled unhappily against the tin of the lunch bucket. At the road fork, the rifle evaporated, and the tigers and bears melted from the hillsides. Even the moist, uncomfortable creatures in the lunch pail ceased to exist, for the little red metal flag was up on the mailbox, signifying that some postal matter was inside. Jody set his pail on the ground and opened the letter box. There was a Montgomery Ward catalog and a copy of the Selena's Weekly Journal. He slammed the box and picked up the lunch pail and trotted over the ridge and down into the cup of the ranch. Past the barn he ran and past the used-up haystack and the bunkhouse and the cypress tree. He banged through the front screen door of the ranch house calling, Ma'am! Ma'am! There's a catalog! Mrs. Tiflin was in the kitchen spooning clabbered milk into a cotton bag. She put her work down and rinsed her hands under the tap. Here in the kitchen, Jody, here I am. He ran in and clattered his lunch pail on the sink. Here it is. Can I open the catalog, ma'am? Mrs. Tiflin took up the spoon again and went back to her cottage cheese. Don't lose it, Jody. Your father will want to see it. She scraped the last of the milk into the bag. Oh, Jody, your father, that's right. He wants to see you before you go to your chores. She waved a cruising fly from the cheese bag. Jody closed the new catalog in alarm. Ma'am, why don't you ever listen? I say your father wants to see you. The boy laid the catalog gently on the sink board. Do you? Is it something I did? Mrs. Tiflin laughed. Always a bad conscience. What did you do? Nothing, ma'am, he said, lamely. But he couldn't remember. And besides, it was impossible to know what action might later be construed as a crime. His mother hung the full bag on a nail where it could drip into the sink. He just said he wanted to see you when you got home. He's somewhere down by the barn. Jody turned and went out the back door. Hearing his mother open the lunch pail and then gasp with rage, a memory stabbed him and he trotted away toward the barn, conscientiously not hearing the angry voice that called from the house. Carl Tiflin and Billy Buck, the ranch hand, stood against the lower pasture fence. Each man rested one foot on the lowest bar and both elbows on the top bar. They were talking slowly and aimlessly. In the pasture, 
Half a dozen horses nibbled contentedly at the sweet grass. The mare, Nellie, stood, backed up against the gate, rubbing her buttocks on the heavy post. Joni, Jody, sidled uneasily near. He dragged one foot to give an impression of great innocence and nonchalance. When he arrived beside the men, he put one foot on the lowest fence rail and rested his elbows on the second bar and looked into the pasture, too. The two men glanced sideways at him. I wanted to see you, Carl said in the stern tone he reserved for children and animals. Yes, sir, said Jody, guiltily. Billy here says, You took good care of the pony before it died. No punishment was in the air. Jody grew bolder. Yes, sir, I did. Billy says, You have a good, patient hand with horses. Jody felt a sudden warm friendliness for the ranch hand. Billy put in, He trained that pony as good as anybody I have ever seen. Then Carl Tiflin came gradually to the point. If you could have another horse, would you work for it? Jody shivered. Yes, sir. Well, <clears throat> look here then. Billy says the best way for you to be a good hand with horses is to raise a colt. It's the only good way, Billy interrupted. Now look here, Jody, continued Carl. Jess Taylor up to the Ridge Ranch has a fair stallion, but it'll cost five dollars. Now, I'll put up the money, but you'll have to work it out all summer. Will you do that? Jody felt that his insides were shriveling. Yes, sir, he said softly. And no complaining and no forgetting when you're told to do something. Yes, sir. Well, all right then. Tomorrow morning, you'll take Nellie up to the Ridge Ranch and get her bread. You'll have to take care of her, too, till she throws the colt. Yes, sir. You better get to the chickens in the wood now. Jody slid away. In passing behind Billy Buck, he very nearly put out his hand to touch the blue-jeaned legs. His shoulders swayed a little with maturity and importance. He went to his work with unprecedented seriousness. This night, he did not dump the can of grain to the chickens so that they had to leap over each other and struggle to get it. No. He spread the wheat so far and so carefully that the hens couldn't find some of it at all. And in the house, after listening to his mother's despair over boys who fill their lunch pails with slimy, suffocated reptiles and bugs, he promised never to do it again. Indeed, Jody felt that all such foolishness was lost, lost in the past. He was far too grown up ever to put horny toads in his lunch pails anymore.
He carried in so much wood and built such a high structure with it that his mother walked in fear of an avalanche of oak. When he was done, when he had gathered eggs that had remained hidden for weeks, Jody walked down again past the cypress tree and past the bunkhouse toward the pasture. A fat, warty toad that looked out at him from under the watering troughs had no emotional effect on him at all. Carl Tiflin and Billy Buck were not in sight, but from a metallic ringing on the other side of the barn, Jody knew that Billy Buck was just starting to milk a cow. The other horses were eating toward the upper end of the pasture, but Nellie continued to rub herself nervously against the post. Jody walked slowly near, saying, So, girl, so, Nellie. The mare's ears went back naughtily, and her lips drew away from her yellow teeth. She turned her head around. Her eyes were glazed and mad. Jody climbed to the top of the fence and hung his feet over and looked paternally down on the mare. The evening hovered while he sat there. Bats and nighthawks flicked about. Billy Buck, walking toward the house carrying a full milk bucket, saw Jody and stopped. It's a long time to wait, he said gently. You'll get awful tired waiting. No, I won't, Billy. How long will it be? Nearly a year. Well, I won't get tired. The triangle at the house rang stridently. Jody climbed down from the fence and walked to supper beside Billy Buck. He even put out his hand and took hold of the milk bucket to help carry it. The next morning, after breakfast, Carl Tiflin folded a $5 bill in a piece of newspaper and pinned the package in the bib pocket of Jody's overalls. Billy Buck haltered the mare, Nellie, and led her out of the pasture. Be careful now, he warned. Hold her up short here so she can't bite you. She's crazy as a coot. Jody took hold of the halter leather itself and started up the hill toward the ridge ranch with Nellie skittering and jerking behind him. In the pasturage along the road, the wild oat heads were just clearing their scabbards. The warm morning sun shone on Jody's back so sweetly that he was forced to take a serious, stiff-legged hop now and then. In spite of his maturity, on the fences, the shiny blackbirds with red epaulets clicked their dry call. The meadowlarks sang like water, and the wild doves, concealed among the bursting leaves of the oaks, made a sound of restrained grieving. In the fields, the rabbits sat sunning themselves, with only their forked ears showing above the grass heads. After an hour of steady uphill walking, Jody turned into a narrow road that led up a steeper hill to the Ridge Ranch. He could see the red roof of the barn sticking up above the oak trees, and 
He could hear a dog barking unemotionally near the house. Suddenly, Nellie jerked back and nearly freed herself. From the direction of the barn, Jody heard a shrill whistling scream and a splintering of wood and then a man's voice shouting. Nellie reared and whinnied. When Jody held to the halter rope, she ran at him with bared teeth. He dropped his hold and scuttled out of the way into the brush. The high scream came from the oaks again, and Nellie answered it with hoofs battering the ground, the stallion appeared and charged down the hill, trailing a broken halter rope. His eyes glittered feverishly. His stiff, erected nostrils were as red as flame. His black, sleek hide shone in the sunlight. The stallion came on so fast that he couldn't stop when he reached the mare. Nellie's ears went back. She whirled and kicked at him as he went by. The stallion spun around and reared. He struck the mare with his front hoof. And while she staggered under the blow, his teeth raked her neck and drew an ooze of blood. Instantly, Nellie's mood changed. She became coquettishly feminine. She nibbled his arched neck with her lips. She edged around and rubbed her shoulder against his shoulder. Jody stood half hidden in the brush and watched. He heard the step of a horse behind him, but before he could turn, a hand caught him up by the overall straps and lifted him off the ground. Jess Taylor sat the boy behind him on the horse. You might have got killed, he said. Sundog's a mean devil sometimes. He busted his rope and went right through a gate. Jody sat quietly, but in a moment he cried, He'll hurt her. He'll kill her. Get him away. Jess chuckled. She'll be all right. But maybe you better climb off and go on up to the house for a little. You could maybe get a piece of pie up there. But Jody shook his head. She's mine. And the colt's going to be mine. I'm going to raise it up. Jess nodded. Yes, that's a good thing. Carl has good sense sometimes. In a little while, the danger was over. Jess lifted Jody down and then caught the stallion by its broken halter rope. And he rode ahead while Jody followed, leading Nellie. It was only after he had unpinned and handed over the five dollars and after he had eaten two pieces of pie that Jody started for home again and Nellie followed docilely after him. She was so quiet that Jody climbed on a stump and rode her most of the way home. The five dollars his father had advanced reduced Jody to peonage for the whole late spring and summer. When the hay was cut, 
he drove a rake. He led the horse that pulled on the Jackson Fork tackle. And when the baler came, he drove the circling horse that put pressure on the bales. In addition, Carl Tiflin taught him to milk and put a cow under his care. So that a new chore was added mm -hmm. night and morning. The bay mare Nellie quickly grew complacent. She walked about the yellowing hillsides or worked at easy tasks. Her lips were curled in a perpetual fatuous smile. She moved slowly with calm importance, the importance of an empress. When she was put to a team, she pulled steadily and unemotionally. Jody went to see her every day. He studied her with critical eyes and saw no change whatever. One afternoon, Billy Buck leaned the many-tined manure fork against the barn wall. He loosened his belt and tucked in his shirt tail and tightened the belt again. He picked one of the little straws from his hat band and put it in the corner of his mouth. Jody, who was helping Doubletree Mutt, the big serious dog, to dig out a gopher, straightened up as the ranch hand sauntered out of the barn. Uh, let's go up and have a look at Nellie, Billy suggested. Instantly, Jody fell into step with him. Doubletree Mutt watched them over his shoulder. Then he dug furiously, growled, sounded little sharp yelps to indicate that the gopher was practically caught. When he looked over his shoulder again and saw that neither Jody nor Billy was interested, he climbed reluctantly out of the hole and followed them up the hill. The wild oats were ripening every head bent sharply under its load of grain, and the grass was dry enough so that it made a swishing sound as Jody and Billy stepped through it. Halfway up the hill, they could see Nellie and the iron-gray gelding, Pete, nibbling the heads from the wild oats. When they approached, Nellie looked at them and backed her ears and bobbed her head and down rebelliously. Billy, walked to her and put his hand under her mane and patted her neck until her ears came forward again and she nibbled delicately at his shirt. Jody asked, Do you think she's really going to have a colt? Billy rolled the lids back from the mare's eyes with his thumb and forefinger. He felt the lower lip and fingered the black leathery teats. Hmm? I wouldn't be surprised, he said. Well, she isn't changed at all. It's three months gone. Billy rubbed the mare's flat forehead with his knuckle while she grunted with pleasure. I told you you'd get tired waiting. It'll be five months more before you can even see a sign. And it'll be at least eight months more before she throws the colt. About next January. Jody sighed deeply. Mm, it's a long time, isn't it? And then it'll be about two years more before you can ride. Jody cried out in despair. 
I'll be grown up. Yeah, you'll be an old man, said Billy. What color do you think the cold will be? Mm, you can't tell. The stud is black and the dam is bay. Colt might be black or bay or gray or dappled. You can't tell. Sometimes a black dam might have a white colt. Well, I hope it's black and a stallion. Oh, if it's a stallion, we'll have to geld it. Your father wouldn't let you have a stallion. Maybe he would, Jody said. I could train him not to be mean. Billy pursed his lips and the little straw that had been in the corner of his mouth rolled down to the center. You can't ever trust a stallion, he said critically. They're mostly fighting and making trouble. Sometimes when they're feeling funny, they won't work. They make the mares uneasy and kick hell out of the geldings. Your father won't let you keep a stallion. Nellie sauntered away, nibbling the drying grass. Jody skinned the grain from a grass stem and threw the handful into the air so that each pointed, feathered seed sailed out like a dart. Tell me how it'll be, Billy. Is it like when the cows have calves? Mm, just about. Mares are a little more sensitive. Sometimes you have to be there to help the mare. And sometimes, if it's wrong, well, you have to... He paused. 